Hi, everybody. Welcome into another edition, episode 113 of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast, Preventing the Lungs. That's our main topic today. Thank you for joining us on the audio side, Apple, Google, Spotify, whichever platform you may be listening on and watching on YouTube, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast page. Thank you for subscribing. If you haven't done so already, please do for great video content and to actually watch us do the show. My name is Jim. Let me bring in professionally evaluator, successful business owner, former coach, friend, and co-host. I couldn't do it without him. He's the best to do it. Jake Epstein. Fire up that computer. We got a show. That's right. Ready to go. Preventing the lunge. Very common question, I guess. Yeah. With all players. Oh, I've been lunging too much. In, in fact, uh, we can bring this up at another point, but uh, I was watching the Yankees game last night. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about Maybe what they're doing and what their color who's their color commentator? What's that? You know, that's a good question for James Tarabokia, my father, a Yankees fan. Oh yes, yeah. I think it might be. Uh, well, they have a bunch now. It might be Paul O'Neill, one of my favorite players of all time. I told okay. that story on this show before. It might. I don't think it was him though. It might have been David Cohn. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it was him. I don't I'm know. I'm thinking it may have been more of a pitcher. Um, that was, well, you know what? We'll talk about it because yeah. I do want to get into just kind of a teaser here about the lunge. We'll, we will discuss okay. that. Um, with lunging though, I've noticed that kid, it's not as prevalent. Maybe I'm wrong. It's not as prevalent though, with kids who are older college level, obviously professional level, maybe even deeper into high school, but it seems very, it seems like a common flaw when it pertains to nine and 10 year olds. And they seem to really lunge at the ball a lot. Yeah, it's a it's a very natural movement to to kind of go get it, you know, to 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 get after the you know the pitch. They're they're excited, and you know, a lot of times they don't know how to control their body very well, and and so what happens is they go forward. You know, it's just it's usually the the first move that they learn. You know, if you watch kids play wiffle ball, they'll kind of step into it. Um, I have two daughters that actually never played softball. Well, they played T-ball, got bored, and then decided they never wanted to play it again. T-ball killed the softball world in my household early on until my last kid, which we didn't let play T-ball. Um, <laughs> but if you watch kids play T-ball or wiffle ball, they'll always kind of lunge to it. Now, at that young age, if you get them to learn how to stay back, it's also very easy. Um, it's much easier to get a player at five or six years old to learn how to stay behind the ball than it is if you know they're 10 or 11 years old and they've never really played before. So it's like anything else when we don't have the bad muscle memory built in. If we have no muscle memory, that's okay. But if we have a lot of bad muscle memory, then it's 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 a lot harder. It's a lot more difficult to fix. Yeah. So, and we've talked about that on this program before. That's why it's so imperative to build in that muscle memory of good mechanics at a young age because it's a lot harder to fix when they get older. Yeah, 100%. I want to bring up something, too, and I, I have to talk about this. I was talking with somebody, I think it was this week, about pitching and hitting, and I told him a little bit about the podcasts and everything else. And he says to me, yeah, there's not one way to skin the cat, that old cliche. Mm -hmm. And I'm keeping quiet. I don't really. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know. And he's not wrong. But personally for me, I don't like that cliche. There's not one way to skin the cat. And there's a reason for that. 
I think that you need certain, and this pertains to all aspects of baseball and softball. You need certain mechanics. I want to get your opinion on this. You need certain mechanics, certain things you need to do to play at a high level, collegiately, professionally, major league baseball. I'll take fielding, for example. We'll use fielding. We won't use hitting. You're a shortstop. Right, the game's very quick at the professional level, major league level. It's lightning fast when the ball's in play. Right. Okay, when you're fielding as a shortstop, right, left field, bring it in, right, left, throw to first. Okay, when you're turning a double, that's there's there's no negotiation with right. that. When you're turning a double play, it's pretty much the same thing. Right, left field, you don't bring it in, but from the right, left field position, you shovel it to the second baseman, you shovel it to the chest, the neck, and the waist yeah. area. Or the, the yeah. midsection area that's the a area they call it now where that whole idea of there's not one way to do things comes into play take robinson cano for example mm -hmm. he used to in his heyday come across the bag throw across his body yeah. and do all some wacky things to turn that double play but here Ep, is the interesting paradox this is what i love for cano to be able to come across the bag like that throw across his body he had the arm strength the footwork yeah. Yeah. and the agility all elements that you need, all prerequisites to play Major League Baseball. That's where it becomes interesting. So I agree to an extent of there's not one way to skin the cat and that cliche. But I do believe that ultimately you need certain mechanics and need to be able to do certain things, especially at the plate, to be successful at higher levels collegiately. Um, and of course, in professional baseball, Major League Baseball, and yeah. so on. Yeah, I think when people see different things, I, I saw, oh, geez, who was it hit a home run? Line? Oh, it was somebody posted, you know, Gold, Goldschmidt hitting a ball, you know, and it's like below his knees. And his he swung so much flatter or down to it because he had to extend really low. I don't remember who posted it versus, you know, normally where he comes up through the ball, you know, he probably swings up at, you know, he's probably this year he's much flatter than he ever was um last year he, he had a kind of a dump and then he swung up a lot so he made a big adjustment this year but regardless you know he made an adjustment to a pitch so if you just looked at that one swing he took you know you would say oh it looked like he swung down because he had a low power v but it was because the pitch was down and so a lot of times when people say you can't teach people the same yeah that's right you know people have to learn in different ways but there are certain absolutes, you know, as, as you like to call them, you know, in the podcast and um, core movements, you know, that Ted Williams talked about way back when, you know, your hips have to lead your hands. That's not debatable. Like if you have a player that starts their swing early, meaning their upper body starts to open before their front foot is fully planted, they're not going to play very long. Like that's a, that's an absolute. I've never looked at a um, college athlete that, that, was able to still be productive and, and and have that move. They just didn't make it to that level, right? They probably didn't make it out of 12, you know, 12 you or even 14 you. They didn't make a high school team. So um, there are certain moves that you have to teach and, and every player needs to do that, but people have different strides. People have different rhythms. You know, you look at Nelson Cruz, who's a big, bad dude, and he just kind of sticks his foot out, you know, a little bit, has a small weight transfer and then explodes his hands, you know, versus somebody like Josh Donaldson that, you know, makes makes friends everywhere he goes. Seems like, um, but you know, I mean, he, <laughs> I'm glad you brought. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm, I'm glad got, you brought that. He's got a huge up. leg kick. You know, he's got a big leg kick. So everybody, you know, teach their own. They have their own style, is what my dad used to call it. You know, everybody has their own style and rhythm. But once the front heel plants to extension, they're pretty much the same. Um, they have to do things consistently through the hitting zone, and um, you can't really 
Can't really mess around with that stuff. I never told you my Josh Donaldson story, did I? When he was with the Blue Jays in 2018. Or, well, I think, yeah, it was 2018. Right before he got traded. I never told you that story. I'll tell you that story. Yeah. When the mics are off. I, I have not. I've, I think I've told. Okay. I've told that story about Donaldson. I'm trying to think. I've told. Oh, I told my one friend of 20 years. Told him that story. I told. Did I tell my. my I told Mike Behanich, who's the director of communications PR for the Bucks. I told him because he's a huge Mets fan and we had a laugh about it. Told him a couple of years ago. Oh, I okay. I told. <laughs> I'm not going to name this person, but I told an actual NFL broadcaster on Sundays this story <laughs> a couple of years ago as well. I won't get into that. I'm not. I'm not going to. And I, to, uh, I may have told a gal. I think I did on the way home that night in 2018. So okay. four people know. I'll have to tell you later. Wow. But it's interesting with Donaldson. I was in the so it involved. I'm never going to tell the story in the podcast, so I'll tease it. And it's one of those cliffhangers <laughs> for the rest of people's lives. I, it was, uh, you know, what, let's just move on. I can't, I can't. It's so, cause I was in, it was a entangled web that I was involved in. And in the middle of it, it involved the Mark Shapiro, the yeah. wow. most powerful, powerful, powerful man in the blue Jays at the time. And still yeah. is my boss, my boss's boss. And then in the middle of all this was JD and I. Nothing bad, by the way. It was actually it was nothing bad. It was nothing, yeah. you know, but it was uh, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, he was popping off last night, I guess. To the I get, what were you gonna? Yeah, what what was he saying? And I also want to get to your point about the Yankees as it pertains to. Yeah, uh, no, he was just. Uh, and I haven't sat down and really watched a game, but um, I was I was cooking. My daughter, like I said, is is leaving for for college, so it's all her favorite meals. So I was cooking last night, and I had the game on, so I kind of watched most of it. And the, the pitcher, you know, Donaldson was like chirping, like, Hey, throw me another fastball. You know, why don't you, you know, quit being chicken stuff and, you know, throw me another fastball And the pitcher as he was walking off the field, they were chirping at each other and the, and the pitcher's like, I just threw you three, <laughs> 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 but it's like, that's, that's the game. Like, you know, it's macho fastball, but it, you know, you got to be able to hit other pitches. Anyway, so I was I was watching the game. You know, my before. dad texted me. Uh, we were talking about this Friday. This is this was on yeah. Friday night against the Rays. My dad texted me because um, he's a big Yankees fan. For those yeah. who don't know, he he texted me uh, about Donaldson. He asks, um, "This was right after Donaldson made an error." And he says, "Yeah, it was bad." And then he hung his head. And, and he texted my dad. Texted me and goes, "Who's who's the Yankees third baseman?" And I, I had to check the box score, <laughs> but I knew I kind of had an idea of who it was. And I, that's when I started to rub my mitts together. Oh, here we go. I go, Oh, it's, it's Josh Donaldson. And my, my dad texts back. He goes, he, uh, expletive, yeah. he expletive sucks. Period. And that was it was it. a really bad, uh, play that, that happened. There was like kind yeah. of a try. And this was when the game was close. It was zero, zero. And Donaldson came up and, uh, it was kind of a chopper and he, he went to throw it to second to get the lead runner, but he wasn't gonna be able to get the lead runner. So then he had to switch his feet. He didn't get his feet set and he threw it in the turf, turf dirt, you know, to LeMahieu and it got by LeMahieu. The ball goes down the right field line. So you see him, they show like this overhead view, which was great because you could see all the runners and you could see the position players where everybody was going. I mean, it was a really actually great coaching shot to see how, and then you see Donaldson, he just puts his head down and starts walking back towards left field as the runners are coming in, you know, to, 
to score, right? So mm-hmm. he gets bailed out. All of a sudden, he turns around, and the right fielder comes in, makes a strong throw, and they get the guy at the plate, and he totally got bailed out. They didn't give up any runs on it. So, But it was so – it was just – it was bad. It was a bad play. He kind of pump faked and then he made a bad throw and then he sulked instead of going to cover, you know, a base. And oh, there's a lot to learn, a lot, lot to learn that, you know, was it his, was it his a bat that he took to the field? Probably not. I just think he made a, he made a bad choice, but watching that game last night, early in the game, they were talking about the Yankees struggles. Um, you know, they're not, they're not hitting uh, after they were, you know, setting the world on fire. By the way, they, they had the, the fourth best record in major league baseball. I'm just right. saying that the whole no, no. struggling, the whole world is falling apart. I don't know. Well, it's New York, right? Like, you right, know, I get you. The, yeah, I get the world is falling apart. So they're talking about, you know, they, they didn't score any runs against the Angels and, you know, their West Coast. And they were hitting it. And, and, and so the color commentator, I don't know who it was, says, you know, it almost looks like they're guessing. You, keep, you know, you can't be a guess hitter. You can't, you know, guess different pitches. And then, like, two innings later, he says, somebody throws a fastball away and it, and the Yankees hitter takes it, and then they throw a fastball in, and the Yankees player takes it, and he says something like, "Well, you got to either look in or away." You know, <laughs> he was yeah. totally telling the guy to guess. You know, like you you can't. And then I'm thinking to myself, "Well, you you can't cover both sides of the plate. Like guessing is one thing, but having a plan is something else." And then he went on two innings later and say how they're guessing on everything. So um, it just goes to show that people don't know what's really going on. Um, they definitely have a plan. There's, there's a plan that's implemented between the players and the coaching staff and, and what they're trying to do. Um, the other thing I noticed with the Yankees is Aaron Judge got two fastballs right down the middle of his first at bat, right down the middle. He's the only guy hitting in the lineup, and they continue to throw to him, which is amazing. He fouled them both off, and then he struck out on a dirty slider down in a way that he no one could hit. It, like, painted the bottom outside corner of the strike zone. And they actually went back and said, well, he, he got two pitches to hit that at bat, but he was under him. He was under him and he was a little late. And he's so strong that if he was probably two inches sooner with his bat head, he probably would have hit a, you know, 370 foot fly ball to right field for a home run. But I'm wondering if he's starting to drop his barrel a little bit because those pitches were cookies. Well, where were they? Were they down the middle of both fastballs? Fastballs, the- yeah, like. Because well, we, well, we did talk about this a couple of weeks ago, where a lot of times if the pitch is a little bit higher, your barrel's underneath. But if it's right down the middle and it's no, a little this bit was like lower, the, you got to hit though. He should have hit two more home runs. Okay. Like I mean, they were. I mean, it was the same at bat, so he should have hit one home run. One was the first pitch of the at bat, or maybe the second pitch of the at bat. It was really, mm-hmm. but the third one, the, or the second pitch right down the middle was, you know, he was like a one-one count or a two-one count, something like that. So um, it just goes to show if you sit on your pitch and you don't miss mistakes, even when they're not trying to give them to you, I'm sure the pitcher wasn't trying to spot up a fastball down the middle to Aaron Judge. You know, we get our pitches and we have to have a swing that destroys mistakes. And he was just a little bit under. I don't even know if he was late. He didn't look late, but he was definitely under. Um, and I'm wondering if his barrels just take it down, you know, a little bit. So if I was a hitting coach, that's something I would look at. Those would be the swings I would look at. I wouldn't look at the, all the at-bats where you swung and missed or whatever, but it's like on these pitches you should have hit, what was the problem? And then what was going through your mind? Were you sitting off speed? Were you, um, you know, what caused you to miss these pitches you should have hit 450 feet? All right. Now what's wrong with Donaldson besides his brain? 
Oh, I don't know if anything's wrong with that. Yeah, he's just a wacky guy. <laughs> That's all I have to say. He's a wacky guy. Yeah, it, it, the color com- I don't know if he's great for a clubhouse or bad for a clubhouse. Well, I told you this before on this show. I've said it publicly that he's great for a clubhouse if he's not the main guy, the main leader. Mm-hmm. He has to be the main leader. He's. I don't think he's cut out for that, but I think yeah. he meshes and blends in well with a group of guys and uh, with a good, solid leader like an Aaron Judge. I think that's why yeah. he ultimately does fit in with the Yankees. Yeah, and you got Rizzo, too. Unfortunately, right. he's hurt, but yeah, he's yeah. a good, good clubhouse guy, too. They have, they have everything. They're just, you know... They're not setting every single record, so like. Well, I, I I pick them to go to the World Series to represent the American League, just like I picked the New York Mets, who took two out of three this week from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, they're hot. So it looks like it's going to be. I think I've seen enough. I tweeted this at Jim Tara. I've seen enough Mets Cardinals in the NLCS. That's mm-hmm. my pick. Now the AL. I've been wrong on the AL the last couple of years, as you know. Last year I picked the White Sox to go to the World Series, yeah. not to win it. Woo. Wasn't even close on that one. But um, I'm sticking with the Yankees to go to the World Series. Yankees-Mets, Subway Series. And if the Cardinals get to the World Series, I won't be disappointed, even though I didn't pick them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the Cardinals, too. I like both those teams. I mean, I'm the, the Mets are fun. Like, that's, yeah. that's amazing what they were able to do with a new GM, a new manager, and a new staff. And Timmy Trumpet. And a new pitcher. And Timmy Trumpet, that's right. Yeah, That's pretty sweet. All right. Well, uh, be sure to follow us on social media at Jim Tara and uh, at Epstein Hitting on both platforms, Twitter and Instagram. We'll get into today's topic, talking about preventing the lunge and how it is very prevalent, especially with younger players. What are some of the main mechanics a player must have to prevent a lunge and to stop it from going any further past, say, the age of 13? 14, 13. Yeah. So usually it, it has to do with the head. You know, a lot of times the head leads. So I'll work with players that have a very aggressive head and it'll jump forward. They'll even like reach with their head in front of their neck when they stride. Um, so the head is like, a, you know, an orange on a toothpick from one of my favorite movies. So I married an axe murderer, which there's probably one listener that has seen that great movie though. And it's a great scene for those of you reminiscing. Uh, but the, you know, especially with the young kids, their head weighs whatever, like 10 pounds, and their body weighs 60 or 50. So, you know, whatever the head does, you know, will if the head leads in, a lot of times the player's head will lean in when they swing and then they'll fall over the plate too much. Their posture will get all jacked up. So the head, if I can get the, them to control the head, you know, a lot of what I try to get them to do is try to keep the head over the back hip when they're striding. So even though we're stepping, if we can keep our head behind center, um, that's usually a good thing. That works if they get wide enough. I mean, there's a lot that goes into where the head is is positioned when they stride. But if they do things right, you know, trying to keep their head back, sometimes they'll hold their head. Um, I remember watching, jeez, uh, the big fix or whatever, when, when Hank Haney was trying to help Charles Barkley with his golf swing. And, and Haney would sit there and hold his head while he was swinging, you know, to try to keep it in the right position. I'll do the same thing with young players, hoping that they don't take a full swing and, you know, break my ribs. But, you know, controlling the head in the stride and then the swing is is the best way to fix the lunge. It also has to do with, with footwork, you know, if, if we can get our front heel to plant properly. And, you know, so many people are focused on backside, you know, get your backside through. 
uh, fire your backside, pivot your backside. A lot of it's from squishing the bug. So squishing the bug, you push your back foot into the ground, you spin your knee, you spin your hip. And what happens is the torso always goes forward. So if you squish the bug, it's very hard to sit back because everything kind of pushes forward with the backside. So I'll focus a little bit more on the front side, you know, getting that front hip to block and rotate back and around. So, you know, at the young age, it's a combination between the head, I should say all ages, but the head, the front hip and the back knee, that combination will allow players to mechanically not lunge and stay behind the ball. Um, and then obviously as we get older, you know, timing and rhythm and all that plays a big part of it. So you kind of mentioned in there linear mechanics, are they the main cause of the lunge? <laughs> uh, well, back in the day, a linear swing was a lunge, you know, it was just, right. it right. just was a different word. Yeah. You were, if you, if you open the, what is it? The art of hitting 300 or, you know, Charlie Lau's book, you know, you were supposed to hit with a bent front knee. Well, if your front knee bends through the swing, then you're going to drift and end up lunging. If, and the idea was you have all the weight on your back leg and you want to transfer all that weight to your front leg. That is considered a, that, that is a lunge, you know, by definition. Um, but they tried to do that so that you would stay on plane longer. You know, you just wouldn't be able to handle anything. Um, you know, you get jammed more because you weren't rotating. It was harder to hit pitches that were, that were middle in or off speed pitches. Right. right. And nobody did it. Even though it looked like they did it, everybody straightened there. George Brett was like, had great rotation. You know, Don Mattingly had great rotation. <laughs> you know, they didn't, yeah. they had a big weight shift to heel plant, but so do most big leaguers today. Um, but then they blocked their front side. They didn't continue to drift onto their front foot. Right. So what do you, th when you see a student, whatever age, and they are lunging and it does mm -hmm. become a problem, what do you do to, without giving too much away? Yeah. You have to go to the Epstein Online Hitting Academy for that. What do you do to um, to fix that problem and to nip it in the bud right there? Because it really could become something, again, lunging. It could become something that's a real problem as you get older because you're seeing more than just straight fastballs all game. Yeah. So we'll, we'll start to work it. You know, I mean, we'll we'll talk about different speed pitches. Sometimes I'll speed up the – the, their timing and then I'll slow down the timing. Like it's a, a change up. So, um, you know, we'll talk about mechanics first. We'll isolate the problem. We'll show them on video. This is what you're doing. Once your foot does this and your hip does this, your, your head can't move. We have to, you know, stay behind our spine at, at this point of the swing. And then if it's a problem that I have so many isolation drills that kind of work against that or, you know, work to fix that problem, you know, with, whether it's the head or the back knee or the front hip, we'll kind of figure out what's best for that player. Sometimes it's taking thought process away from the backside and putting it on the front side. And sometimes it has to do with um, footwork or a knee, but I'll, I'll try, you know, many different things. You know, the drills are all kind of designed to, to, to isolate those moves. Um, and then the other thing is a lot of, I, I should say, uh, one of the major factors is, you know, if they stride late, then they jump, you know? And so if you stride late, then you have to stride fast in order to get your foot on the ground before you can launch your swing. And if you stride fast and you stride late, then you tend to, uh, be less in control of what your body's doing, especially at a young age. And then the head drifts and goes forward and so on. So sometimes we'll work on a different timing rhythm. Sometimes I'll have to take away timing. I'll have to take away a stride and just force them to stay back and rotate. Um, it just really depends on, on that player 
Um, that's what our you know certification program talks about. It's you know every player is different. You know how you communicate to every player can't be the same. You can give them if you're coaching a team, and a lot of people that attend that are just you know they're amateur coaches, they're travel ball coaches, and sometimes they give lessons, sometimes they're just dads to be able to help. But you know we talk about what works best for this kid. You know, maybe it's a different kind of stride. Maybe they can stride. We've, we've tried to take a stride for a couple of years. They can't control it. Okay, let's, we can still build in rhythm, but they might be a candidate for, you know, kind of like a Bryce Harper two-strike approach all the time. And then after they do that for a while, maybe we can try the stride again and see. Um, you know, I did have a player recently here in Colorado, a high school player that was hitting the ball. He came in for his first lesson, right? And this isn't always the case. And we'll talk about I saw some on Aeronado yesterday too, but um, remind me of that. But it was, you know, he comes in, he's hitting the ball uh, 84 miles an hour, and he's a no strider. And by the end of uh, an hour lesson, he's hitting the ball 90 to 91 miles an hour. Okay. Like that's huge. That's an insane improvement. Well, I didn't do a whole lot in that hour. How much could I possibly do? You know, I moved his hands in a stronger position, I built in a weight shift. Um, he, he rotated really well. So we were just gaining energy and he, and he hit the ball harder. Um, it's that's few and far between when that happens, you know, if you gain one or two miles an hour, um, that that's amazing stuff. So, um, you know, sometimes stride and rhythm, but I asked him, why did you do that? And he said, well, I was coming off an injury and I didn't have any timing right when the season started. So I just went to that. But I mean, if you're giving away, you know, eight, seven, seven miles an hour of bat speed, or exit velocity, like that's huge. You know, that's like 30 feet, 40 feet on balls you hit. So it made a big difference. So I was looking at something Arenado went to driveline last year. And what we talked about Arenado last year, or we, last week, I think. Didn't we talk about it? And I said, Well, I, I mean, I briefly mentioned him. Okay. Well, I was talking to somebody about it then. I must have in my other podcast when I was maybe on the Smartless. Have you ever listened to that one? That's pretty funny. What is it called? It's called Smartless. Smartless? Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman is like one of the funniest people I think on the planet. So mm. sometimes if I have to waste time, I'll listen to Smartless because they're just. So you won't listen to this one, but you'll listen to. Oh, I listen to this one too. Of course I do. This is number one on my podcast list, followed by. Cross functionality with Cassie and I. Yes, and then nothing else. Nothing <laughs> else. But far, so Smartless made away. Well, I don't even remember what we were talking about. We're talking about Arenado, and then something went to drive line, and then you said, we, "Did we talk about him last week?" And I said he was a kind of a blip on the show, and then yeah. we oh, got that's right, Smartless. That's right. Okay, yeah. So my recall is amazing. By the way. Somebody point somebody pointed that out to me recently. They're like, I told them, I said, I I have a photographic memory and I can prove it. And I told yeah. them a story of my childhood when I was like nine years old, yeah. and they were like, "Holy shit." Yeah, but this there was no photographic memory here. This was all audio. Well, I mean, but I recalled the whole like line of conversation that got us to this point. It's too bad you went to where'd you go, LaSalle? You could have gone to like Ivy League with that brain. Again, you've known me for 15 years and you still don't know where I went to college. Why do I always say LaSalle? Is it not LaSalle? It is, but I'm just telling you. Oh, well, then what are you busting my chops for? Um, you have to guess. I don't know why you have to still guess. Well, no, I was fairly certain. I was. I had a photographic memory of the shirt you wore in the in the, in the basement when we trained the first time. Um, okay, getting back way, to Arenado. Uh, yeah, okay, Arenado, so go ahead. Whatever I was saying, he has been quoted as saying, I've been trying to hit the ball out in front more and trying to hit it in the air. He was always the guy that let the ball get deep. You know, he kind of drops his head away. And then Drive Light said, well, we were able to increase his bat speed by two miles an hour 
um, at, at our facility last winter. I could have increased his bed speed by two miles an hour, like just in, in, in the front yard in the snow, like in Denver. Like you, all you had to do is move the ball up like four inches. So now he's hitting the ball an inch or two in front of his front toes. Oh, what is that? Pulling the ball, right? So he's trying to hit the ball further out in front. That's instant bat speed. So making contact between your front toes and then moving back like six inches is a different of, difference of four miles an hour typically with those guys. So he's not swinging any harder. He didn't get super duper bat speed by creating more blah, blah, blah. His swing is exactly the same. All he did was move his contact point. Further. I'm glad you brought that up. So I want to ask you a question about the contact point, how it relates to the lunge, the contact mm -hmm. window, contact point. If you're early, too early, if you're fooled, again, pitcher's job is to mess, not just to don't believe what everybody says. It's not just to strike hitters out. It's to mess up their timing. Ultimately, in the end, that's what Greg Maddox did. And that's why, you know, that's still what, again, Jacob deGrom does that. He just throws really, really hard. <laughs> With a contact point, contact window, how much does that relate to a player lunging? How much they lunge and how little they lunge, if at all? Yeah, so usually what I'll see is I'll see a fast stride, but then I'll see an, an early contact point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which is like yeah. the worst combo ever, right? They're rushing everything and then they're still early. So you, you have to go back and, and, and um, slow everything down, get them to feel like they can hit the ball to right field. Let the ball push them back. My dad used to say it all the time, let the ball push you back when you're, you're going to rotate away from the ball. You're not going to jump at it. So again, when I tell that to somebody that collapses their backside, no. When I tell that to somebody that holds too much weight on their back leg, no. But somebody that's lunging, that's what we're essentially trying to do. We're trying to stride a little bit sooner, and, and this may seem counterproductive, but we're trying to stride sooner, we're trying to stride slower, and we're trying to let the ball travel. So most people are like, oh, if I'm going to let the ball travel, I'm just going to stride later. Right? That's common knowledge. Whenever I ask people, well, how do you let the ball travel? If we're anticipating off speed, or maybe the pitcher they brought in from the bullpen throws 80 and the last guy threw 90, how are we going to wait on that? How are we going to make that? that 10 mile an hour adjustment. And usually they'll say, well, I'm going to start later. I'm going to stride later. And obviously that's the wrong answer. So I, you know, we work so much about controlling rhythm, you know, when to stride, stride early and control it. Your brain will tell you when to drop that foot if we practice enough. So yeah, it doesn't make sense, but getting that player to let the ball travel, move their contact point back, but stride sooner so that they have time to do that and they're not jumpy is a pretty darn good combination. All right. I think we hit on everything today and preventing the lunge. Did we miss anything? Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with, you know, anticipation too, and, and having mm -hmm. a plan. If you know you're a lunger, mm -hmm. let the ball travel, you know, anticipate taking that ball to right field. That's the best way to get out of a lunge, you know, is the best way not to get jumpy is not to try too hard. You know, let that ball travel, anticipate the ball middle away. Okay. Let it travel. Hit a ball to right field, stay behind it. Man, does that feel good? Or hit the ball to left field if you're a lefty. But it feels so good. You felt like you, you know, you weren't muscling up. You got a line drive and and boom, I'm ready to go. I, I remember, and I may have told this story before, but I was really struggling in pro ball my first year because I wasn't playing very much. Or maybe I was just struggling. But um, I mean, I was really struggling. And I I can still feel 20 years. What year is this? 21 years later? 22 20. years later, good Lord, 22 years later, I can still feel and see 
But I can't remember what happened 20 minutes ago, but I can still feel and see that line drive that got me out of the slump. It was a meaningless at bat where I stayed behind an off-speed pitch and drove it the other way. And from that point, the last 40 games of the season, I hit over 500. What was different? I don't know. But my approach that day was I got to let something get deep and hit it the other way. And once I did, I, it just felt so good. And the weight of the world was off my back getting that hit after a slump. And then it was like, okay, let's kind of build on that. So um, lunging, lunging really does get you in, in uh, bad situations, you know, because yeah. – you're early on fastballs, holy cow. If you're early on fastballs and you're lunging, what's going to happen when they pull the string? Remember, a pitcher can always throw the ball slower. They can't always throw it faster. So if we can sit back and be late on 90 miles an hour, they can't throw it 95 all of a sudden, okay? But we're in good position with a two-strike approach. If I'm late on the fastball and I can still get to the breaking ball, I got a chance. But if I'm early on the fastball with two strikes, yeah, you're done. Forget about it. Yeah. Well, we have a listener question. Okay. Great stuff this week. I do mean that. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. As always. I'm not wearing my lab hat today. I'm no. Those of you that other aren't watching on the YouTube, you, you just missed, you know. Tip of the cap. Curtain car. Curtain call. Curtain car or curtain car. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, I was watching something. The, by the way, I was watching. I watched Judge the other night. Hit his... Uh, I don't know why I laughed at this, but I saw him when he hit his 50th home run yeah. and all the Yankees fans in Anaheim were cheering and I, he, they put the, they panned to him, the camera, the TV broadcast panned to him. And I thought, I swear to God, it looked like he was going to go on top step of the dugout and do a curtain call. Oh, and I, visiting stadium. Yeah. And I was like, can you imagine if a player like the balls on that player, if he were to do that, a curtain call at a visiting ballpark, you know, who would do that? <laughs> I know one guy. We talked about him earlier in this show. Donaldson. He would do something like that. Um, all right, let's get to our listener question. Um, this is sent to us from Nick, a follow-up from a couple of weeks ago. We pushed it back, so we had a question about Torkelson last week. So let's get to Nick's question this week. And this is sent to us via JimboPodcast21 at gmail.com. Nick writes, Jim, thank you for answering my questions in last week's podcast. It helped a lot. I am being a question whore and wanted to ask one more to both of you guys the hardest thing for me to teach mechanically as an instructor is teaching the rotational part of the swing in regards to the back foot when a hitter who is heavy on their front side first feels how to rotate slash turn i usually see an ample amount of weight stuck on their back foot which obviously causes bat path issues how would you guys or you ep teach rotation without the back foot just spinning or as we mentioned earlier in this show squishing the bug Thanks. You guys are the best. Yes, we are, Nick. Thank you. I love great Nick's question. So complimentary. He, he's great question. He uh, he is an instructor in uh, Northern New Jersey, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm going to so, tell Nick right now that October fifteenth and sixteenth is a certification program. He needs to be there. Well, uh, because best, it is so much information that can help him. Best um, of luck to uh, Nick in his uh, endeavors in coaching. He does submit good questions. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, and again, does. if anybody has um, questions, please email us, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. Leave them in the comments section on YouTube. Um, and just try to avoid avoid that uh, pay no mind list, the spam folder. Am I allowed to answer the question now, Jim, or do you have anything else to say? It's a, I have to do what's called – sometimes I have to do what's called a promo. Go ahead. Answer the question. <laughs> Uh, and I'm old. Do you remember so what the question is? I already forgot the question, Jim. Okay. No, uh, so pretty, pretty common stuff. Right. Uh, 
you know, getting a player off their backside or they're, they're holding, uh, or, or they're drifting too much. Right. And then they're, mm -hmm. they're maybe dragging their back foot too much. So, mm -hmm. um, which reminds me, I got to work on this with my own kid. So you'll always see more of a squish or a turn with an opposite handed hitter than thrower. Meaning if you have a left-handed hitter and a right-handed thrower at a young age, it's a little more difficult to get that back foot action. Um, typically a right-handed thrower and a right-handed hitter will, will have the footwork because they played catch so many times in their life. So what I usually do is again, like anything else, I evaluate the player. What is most important right now? Okay. What is, what is the most important thing? Will will that work its way out? One of the things I'll do is I'll focus more on the knees than the feet. So sometimes if you tell them to think about their feet, then they'll either squish or hold more weight or they'll drag their foot too much. And so it's like, okay, that doesn't work. So I'll say, you know, try to try to work your knees a little bit more, you know, get that knee, that, that rear knee to kind of work down and in a little bit more or work forward more. Sometimes that'll pull the back foot perfectly because the knee actually does control the foot. Um, but I would say what I usually air with, with younger players is I'll have them release the back foot. So if they're, collapsing or squishing I, I really want to get rid of that so i'll have them overdo it for a couple weeks maybe they'll drag their foot forward i'll put a cinder block or something behind their back foot when they hit and they can't touch it you know and and, and they'll start they'll drift they will they'll probably have too much weight on their front side ideally you want the foot to release and then sit back at the you know during the swing right and when you hold your follow through the weights back on the back foot but I'll have them kind of overdo the drag for a couple of weeks. And then once that looks pretty good, then I'll tell them, don't move your back foot. Now try to keep your back foot in place. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But most of the time that does work. Um, if I have a player that's just automatically dragging their back foot too much and drifting too much, then I might tell them not to put it not to move their back foot. Let's get more weight on that right leg. So I'll put like a ruler or something in front of their back foot so they can only move their back foot two inches or so. And then if obviously if they hit that, that stick or tape or, you know, something that they're not going to trip on, um, then I, you know, yell at them um, at the top of my lungs and make them feel really bad. No, of course I would never do that. Perfect segue to the lab BCS. <laughs> We're big on yelling. We are not big on yelling. I'll tell you that. Like we're big on motivating the right way. Um, so yeah, back foot is uh, you just have to figure out what's best for the hitter. You know, do you, do you want them to move it more? Or do you want them to sit back more? And then you got to, you know, keep working the process and, and figure out are, what are they able to do as a, as a player. And as far as the lab BCS is concerned, a couple events coming up. Segway. Number one, big I'm assessment good. day. September 10th, a week from the day we're recording this. Okay. September 10th. So for high school guys, we're going to strap K vests on guys. We're doing 60 times. We're doing 30 times. We're doing grip strength. We're doing vertical jumps. We're doing bat speed. We're doing exit velocity. And then we're putting that all together in a nice package for everyone. And, and they can send those to, you know, maybe future college coaches. Um, because all of this is laser done, you know, it's done with technology. We're not guessing so many college coaches. And I was there, I get 10 emails a day. Here's my uh, batting practice session. And it's a kid hitting I'm like, Oh, that's a nice swing. And then he'll say, okay, I was hitting the ball, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, I don't know if you were really hitting this, that, and the other. So we're doing this uh, very affordable uh, 
uh, showcase instead of going to perfect game, you know, and getting four reps for $800, you know, you'll be able to, you know, for, for a quarter of that price, you'll be able to get, you know, all of your stuff, you know, packaged up and, and analyzed and, and averaged. So we have that going on the 10th. And then, like I said, certification program at the lab in college station. So we have all the goodies to use. Uh, that's going to be October 15th and 16th. Um, so definitely if you're a coach, I don't care if you're a professional instructor, I don't care if you're a, just a, you know, a 12 U coach, a 10 U coach, it is the best podcast host for your kids. What's that? I said podcast host. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Do you want to come down, Jim? When is it? October 15th and 16th. Oh, we do a live show from there. We could do a live show. We won't have any time to do it, but maybe we do a live show on Friday. We'll get the palm trees out. It'll be like uh, the winter meetings. It's in, uh, well, it's, it's, right. Warm weather. Maybe. Yeah. No, it's usually nice. Oh, in October, it'll definitely be nice. How far? It's right near Texas A&M. Yeah. Five minutes from Texas A&M. Maybe I'll go to a game. Maybe, hopefully, it won't be sold out. We'll sit in the upper deck. We'll get you tickets. We know people. You have the hookup? Yeah, we know people. You know people. It's insane, man. Or you can just go to a tailgate because there's probably like 100,000 people. That you know, just can I tell you about that, by the way? my uh, I have a co- two cousins who go to Penn State. I was talking to my uncle about this recently. He said, no, I don't, because they go, they go, my uncle and, and my aunt, uh, his wife, they go to visit them at Penn State like once a year and they, they tailgate. And he said, yeah, I don't go into the games. I just watch the game outside and just, I'm like, well, I'm like, well but, but it's a legendary stadium. Yeah. And Texas A&M, same thing. So it's yeah. not, isn't it the, um, no, that they're not the 12th man, are they? Yeah, they're the but, 12th man. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, it's why, it seats 100,000 people and they Why wouldn't you want to go in? I don't get it. Why would you just tailgate and not go in? Yeah. You got to go into the stadium and watch the game. I think everybody tailgates and then um, their the tickets are worth so much. You know, people that have season tickets that live there, they just always have had season tickets and then they'll, they'll sell them. So they'll still tailgate. And if it's a game they don't care about, they'll sell them and just hang out in the parking lot. And then if they're playing, you know, whatever, Alabama or Georgia or Old Miss. You might you might be seeing a certain somebody in the middle of October making a appearance. Well, I will tell you that certification is not on a college weekend, so there's not a college football game that weekend. Oh. Otherwise, people wouldn't attend, at least from the area. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, Jim. Plus, hotel rates instead of being like 160 bucks a night are like 600 a night on college football weekends. So I didn't want people's All right. hotel. Hotel bills to be insane after they have to pay for airfare and all that. Oh, good planning. I, I good planning. Sorry about that. Plus, we train all day Saturday, so. Well, I'm gonna... I'm gonna make another appearance uh, one day at the lab BCS just randomly. I'm just gonna yeah, walk in randomly. Well, I mean, we can get gonna, you to the game. So. I'm just, and I'm just gonna hit all day. You should. We'll send you cage to cage. All right. Here's 91 fastball, two seamers. Okay, now we're going to go to sliders. Now we're going to go to left-handed right. sliders. Here's 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 what not to do. Everybody. And then you got to go work out with Steve Steve Price. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is how you don't swing. Oh, I want to use all the new technology, though. Yeah. I mean, put me on KVS. See how that. You'll works. still be good, Jim. 
Nah. Elite athlete. Next week, uh, Ep might not be with us, but we will have an episode. I promise. We have great topics coming up too in the future. Mike Trout breaking down his swing. We're breaking down Julio Rodriguez. We're doing something different as it pertains to pitching and hitting and having a plan and an approach. Nice. We'll discuss that later at a later date, but we will be doing that. That'll be something new. We're going to try it out. It'll be fun. We might do another overrated, underrated. I think people enjoy those as well. So we've got a lot, lot to, a uh, lot to do here as we enter the winter months. And by the way, we've got some free agent hitters that we have to break down. One of them we, we already did. Bogarts a few weeks back. He's going to be a free agent, probably um, leaving Boston. But what about the guy that's been a free agent all year? Who? For the Mets. Oh, Conforto. Conforto. King mm-hmm. of Queens. No, we can I guess we can break him down. No, I, forgot. I, just don't, I don't know why he didn't get a job this year. Boris. You think Boris? so? Is that his agent? I think so. Poor guy. I mean, he just sat out all year. Mm-hmm. You know the guy's a competitor and he wants to be out there. That's sad. Anyway, we can talk about that in two years. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's uh, next week. We'll figure something out next week. Ep might be here next week. Who knows? You know, it's like a, it's like a surprise. Yeah, I may have time. It depends on how quickly we get the assessments completed. Right. Very so we, may, we actually may stick on schedule and do the topic. Um, also, I want to promote cross-functionality. This week, Cassie and I, Cassie Riley Bosha, and it's not every day that you get to, I'm very lucky. It's not every day you get to do a podcast with the best hitting instructor in the country and a former, or actually, we talked about this on last week's show, App. You're not, you're never a former champion. She's not a former national champion. She is a national champion, but it's not right. every day I get to do a podcast with a softball national champion cool. from 2012. So this week we're talking about the actual game where they beat Oklahoma, her mindset, what she was feeling, that rain delay that was involved as well. We're talking about all of that cross-functionality. That is cross-functionality. Find it on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, and YouTube, Softball Strength Academy. New episodes Wednesdays at 9 a.m., two days after the lab comes out on Mondays at 9 a.m. I'm not going to say the platforms. I already did it, and I'm out of breath. And you always say them in the same order. You're a true professional. I know. I know. I know. And I've got your little lingo down, too. I've got Cassie's lingo down. It's, you know, that snappy, snappy pattern. All right. Well, um, with that awkward silence and stare from Ep, I think we're, we're finished for today. <laughs> um, happy college football weekend, by the way. Yeah. And um, well, that's it. Yeah. I got nothing. I got nothing else for you. Happy betting. Good luck wagering, everybody, and uh, talk to you next week. Have a good one.